Will you please turn with me in your Bibles once again this morning to Luke's The Acts of the Apostles, where we will be looking together at verses 12 through 16. That's Luke chapter 5, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And you can find that passage on either page 1074 in your Pew Bibles or page 26 in your Acts journals. While you're making your way there, allow me to just quickly remind you of where we are and our look together at this powerful portrait of the first church, living as it were under the abundance of God's power and grace amid a fallen, hostile, and very dark world. At the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, Luke, in showing us The unity of the church of Jesus Christ makes this comparison that we've been considering for a couple of weeks now between Barnabas and Ananias. And considering these two men, we have both witnessed the transformative power of the gospel evident in Barnabas, which was then fueling and aiding the church in its unified pursuit of peace through the gospel. And then, of course, we looked at the danger of the sin of hypocrisy and the danger it poses for the unity of the church as personified in the man Ananias, along with his wife, Sapphira. And I told you last week, they were hypocrites. They were pretenders. And to understand that, we needed to see the way that Luke compares them here with Barnabas. Both Barnabas and Ananias were apparently men of at least some means. They both had a surplus of land, and they were both willing to sell off some of that land in order to give to the work of the church in carrying out its great mission for God. We are told they both brought money to the apostles and that they laid it at their feet. It's an act of submission to the apostolic authority that was clearly in place at this time. So there was at least an appearance of humility to the act carried out by both of those men, Barnabas and Ananias. It was probably done privately to not just be a show of graciousness, of generosity to the rest of the believers. And Luke makes it a point to say that the church itself, the church in general at this time, was also very generous. So much so that Luke tells us no one lacked in their community. Everyone had what they needed. And more than that, they were content. And beloved, again, it's a beautiful picture of the transformative power of the gospel being applied through the power of the Holy Spirit, making dead things alive to the glory of God. Because many of them, many of the church, were bearing fruit, and that fruit was being manifested. We see that they are humble. They are kind and loving They care more about others than they do about themselves. On the outside, it appears to be almost perfect. It was attractive. 
But Luke goes beyond mere appearances. He gives us a a peek under the hood, if you will, with these two men and this comparison. Because not everything was as it seemed. There was an evil present. And it was an evil that sought to destroy, to disrupt the unity of the church. Satan was at work planting weeds among the wheat. And Luke is honest enough to show us the cancer of the sin of hypocrisy that was there in the first church alive and well. Ananias might have looked the same, but an inspection of the motives of his heart reveals something that was actually quite far away from transformation. Ananias was a liar. He had sold his own property, which was of course his right. But he had lied about the gift that he brought to the church and he claimed to have given the whole of the proceeds from his land when in reality he had held back some for himself. His motive for giving was to blend in where he did not belong. He sought the praises and the accolades of the church, though he himself still lived only for himself. He was still dead in trespasses and sins, still very much a son of his father, the devil. He was a poser, a pretender. We learned a couple of things about the seriousness of the sin of hypocrisy here. Remember, Satan is subtle. Not all of his attacks are obvious attacks. Certainly he attacks from without and we recognize that evil immediately. We see it in the persecution brought on by the Sanhedrin. It's wicked. But he also attacks the church from within. He has no problem seeking to blend in, even within the kingdom of God, if he can but just interrupt her peace. We also saw that hypocrisy rarely ever stands alone. It seeks to bring down others. It seeks to bring others to unrest. And it is, of course, infectious. It brings others into its web to aid in the work of deception. We saw it with Sapphira. She was entirely complicit in trying to gain some religious clout through her and her husband's lies. They were play actors. They were content to see the power of God all around them, but to never actually know its power until that power unmasked them. God has never called anyone to fake it in the Christian life. There are no rewards for at least looking the part. Transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit, applying the glorious truth of the gospel, is from the inside out and not the other way around. Finally, beloved, we saw that God and His holiness will not be mocked. Hypocrisy will always be rooted out of the true kingdom of God. And it it may not be instantaneous, but ultimately no untruth 
No falsehood will ever stand in His holy presence. It will eventually be rooted out. Ananias and Sapphira both immediately received God's judgment for their lies. They did not take God seriously. And of course we see that they were wrong. Much in the same way that Achan did in Joshua chapter 7, he thought nothing of keeping back just a little bit of God's treasure for himself. And of course his family was wiped out in Israel. I pointed out to you, we see it in Scripture again and again and again. God is never mocked. God will be regarded as holy. And praise be to Him, beloved, that the door of salvation is still wide open to us. He is long-suffering. He is kind. He is merciful as well as He is holy. And we would do well to keep all of that at the very front of our minds this morning as we see Almighty God continuing to work His perfect and holy will through His kingdom in the passage that is before us this morning. So if you would, please follow along with me as I read the holy, inerrant, and infallible Word of our Lord, Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Hear now the Word of our Lord. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful for the opportunity to come before your word this morning. We pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds of the many things that distract us. Father, allow us to give our attention to your word this morning so that hearing it, we might see it and be transformed by it for your glory. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the first things that I would say we need to see here is that this is a direct answer to the prayer of the church that we looked at just a few weeks ago in chapter 4. Perhaps you already recognized it. You remember, Peter and John were released from the temple jail. And the very first thing they did was seek out their brothers and their sisters in Christ and fall to their knees and pray together. And I'm not going to rehash it all again this morning, but in that prayer, after acknowledging God's awesome character, they asked specifically for the boldness to preach the word of God, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of oppression that was all around them. And they said, beginning in verse 29 of chapter 4, Now, Lord, look on their threats. And grant to your servants 
that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Of course, you remember God answered. He affirmed their prayer by shaking the very earth beneath their feet. And now here we are in Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira have received the very judgment of God against their sin of hypocrisy, being pretenders in the kingdom. Their lives have been taken from them. We really do not get too much of a time indicator here as to know how much time has passed since that moment and the time that great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard of these things. In verse 11. But look at verse 12. Luke points, points us one final time here to the rock-solid unity of the church of Jesus Christ as they are doing exactly what they had prayed for. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And once again, I would say to you, beloved, this is that, right? We see that a lot in the book of Acts. This is exactly what they had prayed for. This is what they went to their knees before the God of creation for on the heels of being arrested and threatened with bodily harm should they not cease from preaching the name of Jesus Christ. And the effect of these healings and this display of God's power over His creation is exactly as they hoped it would be. You say, well, how do you know? Well, look. The broken, the desperate, and the sick are flocking to the church seeking relief. The church we are told, is being added to daily. Their numbers are increasing. And they are here together, unified. They are of one mind, in one accord, once again in the temple, gathering again at Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. In the exact same spot that they had been when they were arrested for doing the very same thing, that they are now doing on a much, much larger scale. And you remember that they had been warned against preaching and teaching in Jesus' name. And they replied to that warning. They said, well, that's not possible. We will not cease. We must speak of him of whom we are witnesses. And so here they are. And you notice that those who are on the outside looking in they're a little bit more wary of these people now that the news of Ananias and Sapphira's deaths has spread throughout Jerusalem. Commentators that I've read on this have a great deal to say about who Luke is talking about in terms of none of the rest in, the verse, in verse 13. It's really difficult to even find two of them that agree who is meant by this group. I believe this group is made up primarily of two kinds of people. First and foremost, I think it is made up of other hypocrites who at one time may have sought the company of Christians for one selfish reason or another. 
They are now in this group who has very good reason to be afraid. Or at least very good reason to fear any association with the church. It is a kingdom of truth. And as such, it is not a safe place for hypocrisy or for hypocrites to hide. I think the rest of this group then is probably made up of those who fear the rulers of the temple, the Sanhedrin, more than they fear God. My guess is they are the ones who, though afraid, they esteem these workers of miracles and healing very highly. Both groups, though, are ruled by what we would call an unhealthy fear, the fear of men. However, these unified believers, those united by God-given faith in Jesus Christ, they are a picture of what a healthy church looks like. Not perfect by any means, but healthy. And I think there are a few clear indicators of that health here that we would do very well to both see and consider in our own day. And the first indicator that I would point out to you here, we've looked at already, but this is indeed a praying church. Surely we need to see that here. They not only gather together, but they gather together and they cry out to Almighty God, seeking relief for their fellow image bearers, both physical and spiritual relief. And not only, do they ask, not only do they ask of God in their prayer, but they expect that they will most certainly be trusting God for the result. And we need to see it. Remember, they're not here asking God for selfish things. They've asked for God to display His power by bringing relief to desperate, broken sinners who greatly need to see it and experience it. And then they're using that physical healing to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel. And beloved, you see the desperation of the people for it in verse 15. Look at what Luke says. So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. They are desperate for relief. They are seeking anything and everything for some kind of comfort. It's desperation. So by the grace of God, they are being drawn by God's gracious hand and they are being brought to a place where they may not only receive physical relief, but they may find ultimate relief, ultimate comfort in life and in death from hearing the wonderful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You understand the picture. This church prayed. They really prayed. They cried out to God. They trusted Him with their prayer. They trusted Him to answer that prayer for His glory. And they carried out their mission to be His witnesses by His grace. It's a praying church. 
Because this is a praying kingdom. And a praying church, living by faith in Jesus Christ, is an expectant church. They are being used of God to carry out His perfect will on the earth. And so, beloved, we're challenged here right out of the gate, aren't we? We have to ask. These pictures of a healthy church are a great time to do some spiritual triage, right? Are we a praying church? Are you a praying servant? Do you avail yourself to this most precious gift that God has given to us in and through Jesus Christ? To speak with Him. To petition the Almighty. To carry out our mission to show the world beautiful salvation in and through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this the prayer of your heart? We need to search them. If we're truly going to perform any spiritual triage here, we must search our hearts. And this is where it starts. Are we praying? And are we praying for the right things? Are we praying for the needs of others? The salvation of others? The second thing I think we need to notice here about this healthy church is that they are a compassionate church. Surely we see that here, right? They care about the needs of others more than they care about their own concerns. In fact, their concern is others. They're not concerned even with their own safety. We have to notice that. I'm going to come back to it in a minute, but they are far more concerned with relief being handed out to suffering people. They are content to be there in a place of suffering, surrounded by sick people, surrounded by disease and worse, surrounded by demon possession, a vast collection of misery. And there they are ministering to the sick and the infirm in the hopes that they may use that occasion to minister to their souls through the gospel. And I want you to understand, this is not a gimmick. They really are healing the sick. They really are casting out demons in Jesus' name. They really are administering relief to a large gathering of desperate relief seekers. And it's not just to trick people into gathering so they can use a classic bait-and-switch technique to sell them Jesus. They really do care. They have compassion for the suffering. They have compassion for these crowds because they themselves have been on the receiving end of the compassion of their king, King Jesus. You understand, this is a mark of a healthy church. Having received compassion and mercy, they are compassionate and merciful. Not because it's a rule but because we have changed. 
we have, by the grace of God, gotten over ourselves. We have been transformed. The power of the gospel has made us new. We have been desperate to find relief. I believe that many of us have come to the end of ourselves at some point, right? Do you know what I mean by that? We've come to the place where we truly believe that we actually are sinners standing in desperate need of God's grace. We believe God when He tells us that none are righteous, no, not one. We are the sinners that we love to sing about. And there is nothing that we could ever do to change that truth in and of ourselves. We actually believe that Jesus came down. That he put on flesh. That he walked among us. That he suffered his entire life. And then willingly went to the cross where he received upon himself the just deserts of you and I. Death for us. He arose on the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we believe that He now rules and serves as our advocate before the Father, sanctifying all that we do, all that we say, all that we even think. He has so united us with Himself in His life, death, and resurrection that we now have perfect, righteous life in Him. We actually believe it. And if you believe that this morning, then I'm sure that you understand that what we have here in this first, pic- in this first church is a picture of the compassion of the redeemed. Those who truly believe it. Because His kingdom is a compassionate kingdom. Because it has a merciful and compassionate king. The power of God healing them physically opens them up to being healed spiritually. And the apostles are the means for that healing. God is using them to build his kingdom for his glory. And it is a compassionate, a merciful kingdom. And again, beloved, we see it here, right? And so we have to ask, can this be said about us? I find it very interesting here that God is building his kingdom this way. I mean, here we are talking about taking the pulse, so to speak, here of what a healthy church is. And God is filling that church with the sick and the infirm and the weak. It's certainly not the model for building a church today, is it? So why does he do it? Because it is the sick who know they need healing. It is the desperate who know they need a savior. It is the weak who relies upon the strength of God's arm. See, this is the church. 
Who do you want to fill this place? Right? We have room. We have room for people here, right? Who do we want to see fill these pews? The pretty? The tidy? The strong? The wealthy? The self-sufficient? You know, those who at least have the appearance of having their stuff together? Well, you better look again. Who are you willing to share the glorious truth of the gospel with? We need to consider it, don't we? The branches, you and I, get our strength only through the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth is, we have no strength. It is Christ who brings life to His church. Only Christ can make dead things alive. And he uses his church to reach out to the sick, to the weak, and the sinner. Is he using us? Is he using you? Why, or perhaps even more difficult to work through, why not? Beloved, make no mistake, God's kingdom is a compassionate kingdom. And I want to be crystal clear. That means there's no room for mean people. Do you understand? Repentant mean people, there's room. Content mean people, there is no room. Because it's a compassionate kingdom. God brings comfort in this kingdom. And so we have to ask are we compassionate? Are we merciful? Because if we are, then the kingdom of God has plenty of work for us to do. Thirdly, we see here that they are unafraid. Another sign of a healthy church. It's come up already and it's going to come up again and again throughout the book of Acts. I'm not going to spend too much time on it here this morning, but we do need to see it. They are entirely unafraid. Consider what they're doing here in carrying out this work. They did not take the warning to heart from the Sanhedrin. And they're about to pay a price for it. Not because they're rebellious in any way. They are simply trusting God to work His purposes either way, whether it be through being ignored or through suffering. They are there to carry out the will of their Father by faith. And they're doing it again right under the nose of the authorities. The very ones who warned them. Threatened them. The ones who are just about to inflict real pain and real suffering upon them. The ones who will even take the lives of some of them. Here we are halfway through chapter 5. Chapter 7 we meet Stephen the first martyr. Things are escalating here. They're once again gathered on Solomon's porch in the temple courtyard, and they're not doing anything here quietly. People from all over the city of Jerusalem are flocking towards this little group on Solomon's porch in droves. 
That alone would be more than enough to create a scene that could not be ignored. But it's not even just them. Luke tells us it's even people from the surrounding cities, Gentiles even, that are making their way to the apostles to find comfort and relief. Broken people are flocking into the temple everywhere. Suffering people who've been crushed under the weight of sin and its inevitable curse. By the grace of God, they are finding relief. This is the kingdom that is unafraid of the opinions or even the actions of men and their rulings which go contrary to the word of God. And I want you to understand, it's not just rebellion. These men have been called to this. They're doing God's work. They're being witnesses to Jesus Christ and his resurrection and what it means for the people. They're pointing the world towards the Lord Jesus Christ. No man-made rule will ever stand in the way of that. This kingdom is unafraid because they know the king. And nothing can harm them outside of his purposes. Nothing can stand against him. They are living out His perfect, holy, and immutable will. What do they have to fear? Nothing. They belong to God. They know Him through His word. They know that nothing can stand in the way of His will. He is God. And so they are rightly unafraid of whatever's coming their way. They just want to get people to Jesus. And so beloved, I'm asking you, is this, is this our frame of mind? Do we fear God and not men? Are we desperate to get people to Jesus? Or at least as desperate to get people to Jesus as we are to get ourselves out of harm's way? get ourselves out of being made uncomfortable. A healthy church is unafraid of the world and its purposes. They rightly declare with the psalmist, why do the nations rage? Why? Why bother? Nothing stands up to God. No, there's no foolish fear of man in this kingdom. And finally, I want us to see one thing here, one final thing that I think sort of flows out of the rest of them. A healthy kingdom or a healthy church is always a praying church. It's also always a compassionate church, an agent of God's mercy. It's also a church that is unafraid to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ, come whatever may. And all of that feeds the fourth and final thing here. It is a growing church. A growing kingdom. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not calling on us to adopt a church growth methodology that will attract people our way. A healthy church will never need gimmicks. God in His wisdom through His gracious providence will bring His people 
And we have to see that here. Did you notice that these new members are not even getting there under their own strength and resolve? Did you catch that? Because it would be easy to be missed. Luke tells us they were being carried. They're being brought to a place where they will come into direct contact with the apostles and their gospel message of hope. They are so being crushed under the weight of of their sin and its curse that they are unable to rise in their own strength and get to Jesus on their own terms by the power of their own two legs. And so the desperate are being carried into God's gracious presence. It's telling, isn't it? God is using his means to bring them. What do those means look like? Well, they are praying and trusting God to heal their friends and their loved ones. Perhaps in some of these cases, even just their acquaintances, maybe even strangers. We don't, it doesn't say. But they're certainly compassionate. They're certainly unafraid to walk into the temple grounds with their sick to seek out the apostles and not the priests. They look like the kingdom of God. Beloved, they look like a healthy church. Do you see it? This is the Christian life. The normal Christian life. This is what the king has called on us to do. We are to die to self. And through life in Christ, we are to live for others. Please don't take my word for it. Look for yourself. This is the normal Christian life. This is a portrait of a truly healthy church. No one is here building to the king building the kingdom of God to fit their own desires. They're not at all here looking through this motley crew to build a church that suits everybody's fancies. They're not here pursuing anything akin to uniformity. The church is a rest area for weary travelers on the road of life in a broken world, driven in these broken bodies. And it's never a convention to your own good ideas. The church is and should be infiltrated by sick people. Broken people. Desperate people. People who just like us desperately need to get to Jesus. So I want to close this morning with a challenge. As I've mentioned already, there is some spiritual triage going on here in Acts chapter 5. What is our temperature this morning? What is our pulse? How do we look? And what are we going to do about it if we don't measure up? Beloved, will you run to Jesus? And be blessed with his life so that you may truly be a blessing to others 
who are also desperately running to Jesus. I pray that we will to the glory of our risen and reigning King. Amen.